Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, I'm mature, I'm an adult, okay, so I'm not going to make fun of Austin's name. It's just his name, that's just what he was born with, there's nothing you can do about it. It's not funny, guys, don't treat a man's name like a joke. All I'm saying is that it was a pretty big night for Cox. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast about the Kansas City Royals, bringing you breaking news and analysis of them every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. And we didn't have an episode on Monday. That's right. But I said we weren't going to have an episode on Monday. Why? Because I was invited to another podcast. That's right. A much better podcast than this. I was on the Royals Rundown podcast, which is part of the Royals Review Network. So that was pretty exciting. Go check that out. We did talk about some things that I'm going to still talk about in this episode because we didn't fully talk about them. I want to talk a little bit more about Dyron Blanco and Samad Taylor coming up and what I think they are going to mean for this team. But yeah, a lot of the weird transactions that the Royals have made over the last week or so talked about them on that podcast. Also talked about a lot of anime <laughs> because of course we did. You know, there's a small anecdote that I, uh, <laughs> that I'm super proud of myself about uh, because of this. Um, Cause I moderate the Royals subreddit r slash Casey Royals. And earlier in the year, we had this particular fellow who I actually thought was like an all right guy, but over the course of the season. And by this, I mean like one month, <laughs> he just got like, frequently more aggressive his tone his his tone and aggression towards others was just much less um worth keeping around i guess so anyway i was trying to calm him down from that but then he started going off at, at me because he had claimed that i was just posting about anime on the board just all the time like constantly which it is true i do make reference of it every now and then, but in this particular occasion, on this one particular game, I had literally made one joke about anime, and it's because, it, it wasn't even off topic, it's because we were playing the Rangers, and the Rangers manager is named Bruce Bochy, and so I was making an, a joke about the anime Bochy the Rock. But he was not having it. He was just going off and all of that because apparently it was like a huge crime that I talked about anime on this on this professional baseball forum or something. So anyway, um, the, the, the point is, it's really funny that I ended up going on to the Royals Review podcast to talk about anime. So cope and seethe to that fellow. <laughs> that guy was that guy was weird. Anyway. Oh, uh, what do we got to t- talk about today? Oh, by the way, I should introduce myself. I'm Lux. I'm sorry I haven't told you that earlier. Uh, at least that's what I keep telling people. I keep telling people that I'm Lux. But if you, if you want to know my real name, at the MF and KC, that's the social media. If you don't care at all, at Royal Deluxe Pod, also on Twitter. Those are the social medias that I've got. And once again, thanks for listening. Today's Friday. We're going to talk about kind of the past week of Royals baseball. Well, not not like the games themselves, but like what's been going on within... Royals baseball. Basically, I want to go all the way back to what game was this at this point? Saturday, I think, it, which uh, which was the uh, the the famous, the fabled, the legendary Samad Taylor game, where we had him come up and he had a, a game winning walk off hit, 
And then we've also got Austin Cox coming up in this time for real. We are actually going to have Austin Cox and our pitching staff seemingly long term now. And there are some other guys that are moving around in the minors that I think could help the major league staff sooner than later. And I've also got this other section called Yikes Watch. I think because we're now at the point of the season where it's too late to say, okay, well, it's early. We're still kind of figuring things out. No. Okay. If, if, if some guys are having issues and they've been having issues all season, we, we've really got to start talking about this. So I'm calling, I'm, I'm putting a couple of guys on this roster on the yikes watch as in, man, I don't know about these guys. Something's got to change with them. And then we'll talk about this upcoming series, or rather this series that's already in progress against the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. A series that they have already won a game in. As in, the Royals. The Royals beat the Rays. No, the Rays haven't beat us yet. Nah, we are 1-0 against the Rays this season, so <laughs> let's go. But first, uh, let's bring back some segments. Let's bring back the Royal Deluxe moment. What a time. For a young man making his major league debut, looking for his first big league hit to step in the box. High fly, deep to center. Trout watches it go, and it's in there. Samad Taylor's first major league hit is a game winner. So this is going to kind of tie into what I wanted to say about Samad Taylor in general, as well as Dyron Blanco, because he's another position player that has uh, been placed on this roster recently. We talked about him, I think, last week, went because I, I definitely talked about Jackie Bradley Jr. getting DFA'd. But yeah, Samad Taylor comes up, um, gets his first big league hit, and it's an RBI walk-off, which was like the first time that has happened in Royals history since the 80s. Or something like that. It's been a really... In, in fact, even in baseball, it's been a really long time since someone has had a walk-off hit as their first major league hit. So that is really cool. And the way this team celebrated, like... I mean, we... Like, like I don't want to... It's really cliche to say that that can be the turning point for a season. And we can kind of see that it hasn't been a turning point because immediately after this game, they lost two in a row. But hey, they've... They, They've been doing okay. They're technically three and three over the past six games, which is which feels like a way better stretch than like anything we else we've seen this season. But anyway, like I wanted to believe that this could be the start of something more positive for this team because, like I don't know, like losing le- losing begets losing. I feel it's it's just easy for this team to find itself checked out. When they're already down three to nothing in the second inning, it's like, oh, well, why even bother? Because even if we do get some runs on the board, then the pitching is just going to continue to blow it. And it's it, it, it's it's just so easy to feel defeated with this team. And this team really has looked and felt defeated, just truly and honestly out of it for the last couple of months, maybe even the entire season, frankly. However, this game was legit the first time that I've seen anybody on this roster actively happy in like two months like this is the happiest I've seen anybody on this team since really the Toronto game last season the first Toronto game the one that they won when we had 10 of our core players missing from this roster so they just called up whoever uh but including Michael Garcia um, I'm actually not entirely sure who was on. Freddie Fermin was on there. Lots of guys making their MLB debuts in that game. I think Nate Eaton was making his debut then. Uh, Michael Massey might have been making his debut then. It was a lot of guys, but they won that first game against Toronto against all odds. Everyone was thinking this this would be an easy four game sweep for the Blue Jays, but instead the Royals got the first game. They lost the next three, but still, just getting one game was enough. Just that one game, it's like. Okay, these guys might have something. They 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 had nothing to lose and everything to prove. So this is the happiest I have seen this team since all the way back then. I mean, like usually whenever you get a walk off win, the guys just run out of the dugout and they throw powder at each other. Someone carried Samad Taylor on his freaking shoulders and paraded him around. Like, that doesn't happen. That is that is not a normal victory celebration. That is a, like, oh my god, we just did something amazing celebration. And they did kind of do something amazing. They came back from an 8-2 to deficit 
in that game. So that was just that was a really, really, really fun win. And Dyron Blanco, you know, mentioning him again, he got on base, um, and I think he stole a base in this game. I should actually go back and see the game log. Okay, I'm glad I actually looked this up because I didn't remember entirely how this went. Um, so Dyron Blanco, it wasn't actually Dyron Blanco, it was Edward Olivares. He, he he hit a single in the bottom of the ninth, and then Dyron Blanco pinch ran for him, stole second base, and this is how fast this guy is. He steals second base. He 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 like he he kind of slaps the ground in celebration. He he jumps up. He turns around and sees that the ball is behind him. It it went into center field, and then just runs to third. Which normally is a really, really bad idea, but he is so fast that he beats the throw anyway. Like, he's not even halfway to third base by the time the center fielder, by the time Mike Trout gets this ball. And he is still able to beat the throw and the tag. He is literally that fast. He made two mistakes. He, he, he slid into the bag and then celebrated a little bit and then, and then jumped up and then turned around and had this moment of hesitation. And despite that, he stole third on this throw. That is how fast Iron Blanco is. No one else should be able to do that. That, like, that was a really, I was like kind of arguing with someone. It's like, cause someone was like, oh my God, that was such terrible date base running. But I'm like, yeah, that was, but it worked. That's just what he's able to do. And then Michael Garcia singled him in, and then he stole second base. Nicky Lopez then hit the sacrifice bunt to get Michael to third, and then Samad Taylor got the walk-off single. So that's how that went down. So personally, I'm actually kind of excited for Dyron Blanco and Samad Taylor being on this roster finally. I mean, we've been we've been calling for Samad to be on this roster since like April. This is long overdue. Dyron Blanco has been a very pleasant surprise this season. He was someone that I actually went into this season going like, "Wait, this guy's still here? What are we doing? What's 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 going on there?" But then we actually saw how well he was hitting the ball in Omaha and then stealing quite literally one base per game. So now it actually makes sense that he's going to be on this roster. And I said this on Twitter, and I want to say that I've said this on the pod. I probably think I don't think I've said this on the podcast. I've been stewing on this for a long time. But Dyron Blanco could be like like the thing that everyone you know discredits him for is that he's thirty. So he is he's an extremely old prospect. He's someone extremely old to just be getting their feet wet into the major leagues. But that's not unprecedented or anything you look at some other teams that have been kind of struggling lately some teams that have been trying to figure things out they will end up finding these guys who are just really old but some who do have some skills and have some ability to stick the majors to some extent so the guy the guys that i kind of want to compare dyron blanco to are patrick wisdom of the cubs and Joey Manessis of the Washington Nationals. Patrick Wisdom is someone who was basically a quadruple-A journeyman for his entire career. But then at age 29, he landed with the Cubs and ended up breaking out. He ended up just hitting the crap out of the baseball. Incidentally, this was also the same time that uh, Frank Schwindel was on the on the Cubs, and he was hitting really, really well. However, unlike Frank Schwindel, which everybody knew was not going to last very long, Patrick Wisdom has actually stayed in the majors. He is still there. He is still on their roster. Now, he's not necessarily good. He's hitting 196, but he does have 14 home runs, for what it's worth, and he plays third base not terribly enough that I assume that the Cubs are just kind of holding him there just because they need somebody to play third base. But he's he he's got something. That's that's an example of someone who is really really old, but ended up making the majors and has been around for a couple of years. And then there's Joey Manessis of the Nationals, who didn't even make the majors. He he only came up last year at age thirty, and he just kind of slaps the ball around, hits for high average, doesn't really do much else. But that's just it. He just hits. He's also positionless. He's kind of like the Edward Olivares of their roster. But he he just hits. And sure, these might not be like great players. Like, like when I say I'm excited, like I mean I am, but I'm not going to say that. Oh man, the Royals have some all stars in the making right here, especially not Dyron Blanco. But I do think that what these guys represent, the two players that I'm comparing Dyron Blanco to, what they represent are usable 
filler pieces, so to speak. They're guys that can be on your roster, be on your major league team, be in your lineup most every day, and not really weigh the team down all that much. These guys might only be, like, Dyron Blanco might only be one, a, a, a one to two war player for a couple of years, but you know what? That's just what the Royals need right now because, I mean, look at where they're at right now. This is like the really, really crappy car that you're taking to work every day because you're just saving up for something better. The Royals right now, like Dyron Blanco is not the truth. He is not the future. He's probably not going to be here in the next competitive window for the Royals if if hopefully that happens in a few years. But he's at least here for now and he will get us through these lesser seasons. He'll be in the lineup, and you won't groan when you see that, like, oh, my God, we're still playing this guy. I mean, like like Jackie Bradley Jr., going back to him. It's like Jackie Bradley Jr. was hitting, like, 120. Like, what are we doing with this guy? Come on. There has to be something better than this, right? I don't think we're going to be be saying that about Dyron Blanco. And if we do, then hopefully it'll be years down the line when we do have something better in store. So that's what I really, really like about this guy. It's not that I think he's going to be super good. It's just that I like what he represents. He rep- he represents a little bit of stability, even if it isn't going to be a flourishing success. It's something, and it's definitely a lot better than – I mean, th- there are lots of better things that exist, but we don't have them right now. We can't afford them right now. We have to build them, and that's going to take time. But he's going to be here in the meantime – and it's going to be better than having like Hunter Dozier in left field or something like that. Samad Taylor, I think, could also be that, but he could be better as well because Samad Taylor plays a lot of positions. He plays second. He plays outfield. He's kind of like a diet wit Merrifield, I suppose, which is really, really funny because he's what we got in return for trading Whit Merrifield. <laughs> So I don't really know. I don't have any strong feelings about Samad Taylor necessarily. I don't think he's a guy with a particularly high ceiling, but he is one of those like kind of high floor guys where he can just slap the ball around, play a few different positions, and just be a guy that fills out your roster while you actually wait for while you wait for the next actual Whit Merrifield, the next four to five war utility player on your roster. So I really like these two players, not because I think that they're the truth, but because they can play ball. And that's all I really ask for at this point. They'll stick the major leagues for at least a few more years. And, you know, whether or not they're actually whether or not they're actually going to be, you know, good in the in a few years, that's kind of redundant right now. They're they're here and they're helping. Speaking of a guy who I think can help Where in the world. Tucker Wade Bradley. Hello, Royals. Did you miss this segment? You thought that just because I haven't done this segment in like two or three weeks that I forgot about it, that I haven't noticed what's going on? Huh? 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 Listen here, buddy. Tucker Bradley, in 11 games through the month of June, 38 plate appearances, is hitting 393 with a 500 on base percentage. This motherfucker is. <laughs> I was trying to censor myself. That came out weird. He he has struck out as many times as he's walked, which is to say he's only struck out seven times and he's walked seven times. But get this. We're not done. This doesn't count Thursday's game. He, on Thursday, went two for three with another walk and another strikeout. So he's actually hitting above 400 in the month of June. Thank you very much. His on-base percentage is now above 500 in the month of June. Thank you very much. You know, um, just a, a foreshadowing for this episode later on. There might be something wrong with one of the corner outfielders that we're playing a lot of the time. Hmm, who's a corner outfielder that I think could help the Royals? You see, Tucker Bradley's another guy that I think could be that organizational sort of filler piece on the Major League roster for a few years. That's the thing with this guy. Like, I know I'm I'm hyping him up all, you know, grandly. But look, this guy isn't hitting for a lot of power. He plays good defense, but in left field. 
I don't love Tucker Bradley because I think he's the truth. I love him because I think that he just plays ball and can stick the roster and be an all right guy for a few seasons, which is just me being modest because I actually do think that Tucker Bradley is the truth, but the Royals are afraid to admit it. They can't handle the truth! Let's talk about Cox. <laughs> Listen, I moderate the Royal subreddit, okay? I'm literally a Reddit moderator. I have to be a 12-year-old. So this guy is someone who has never been like a super highly rated prospect in the Royal system. I think he was like a what round pick? I don't remember. He's one of the 2018 guys, so who knows which round he was drafted in. <laughs> However, this guy, we saw him once earlier and I think he threw one scoreless inning and then was immediately sent back down that was in like May or even April and it was like okay that was cool I guess <laughs> but he's one of the few guys that have actually put up some decent numbers in AAA Omaha this season maybe because AAA Omaha is dealing with some kind of hyperinflation on offense or, or something like that uh, yeah that, that league is all just it's all kind of it's all kinds of messed up but Austin Cox in the majors, he's now pitched about 11 innings, 11 to 12 innings. He's seen 39 batters, or no, he's actually seen more than this. Let me go back. Austin Cox has pitched 12 and a third innings in the major leagues and has not given up a single run. As a matter of fact, he went 39 batters without giving up a hit. Which is an MLB record. That is the first time a player has struck out the, f or not struck out, the, a player has gone hitless for the first 39 batters of their career. Yeah, Austin Cox, a member of the 2023 Kansas City Royals who was drafted in 2018. He set an MLB record in success. You know, it's always seasons like this. It's it's always it's always the really crappy seasons that have these bizarre records of success. Like in 2018, believe it or not, 2018 was I think the year the Royals set. I don't know. It was probably a team record, not an MLB record, but I think they set a team record for most consecutive games without an error. Yeah, the 2018 Royals did that. Not the 2014 Royals, not the 2015 Royals, the 2018 Royals who lost 104 games. They did that. So, I guess it's only natural that we see some kind of miraculous feat of success on this roster. We couldn't have the combined perfect game, the first ever combined perfect game, but we can have a guy who went hitless for 39 batters in his career. That's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, and I was saying this on the Royals rundown, but I think that what they're going to do with Austin Cox is that they're going to kind of continue this piggyback role and use this as a means to stretch him out so that he can become an actual starter down the line. So you're going to start to see, you know, two inning, three inning, four inning, five inning relief appearances until, you know, he can, he's actually set to throw 90, 100 pitches every five days or so. I mean, he already went 3.1 in this one game against the Rays because he's just freaking good, so he didn't have to throw a lot of pitches in general, 53 pitches. So, yeah, he's getting worked up. It's actually three three and two-thirds innings that he threw on two, on Thursday. So he is getting built up. The Royal. It does look like the Royals plan on making him the next fifth starter in this rotation uh, and um, I'm excited for that because we've seen really good things from him so far. We're seeing some pretty good stuff from Daniel Lynch as well. Recently, he went seven scoreless innings, I believe. That was on um, Tuesday against the Tigers. So you can say, well, it was the Tigers. But still, I'll take seven scoreless innings against any team. Whatever. Um and beyond that, there are some guys that are moving around in the minor leagues and could be in the majors sometime soon this season because Jonathan Bolin and Chandler Champlain, 
or which one is it? Uh, there, there, there are lots of guys like named Chandler and Champlain and Chamberlain. Christian Chamberlain, this guy's name is. Sorry. There is a guy named Chandler, Chan- Chandler Champlain. That's why I'm getting confused by. But no, it's Christian Chamberlain who has been promoted to AAA Omaha. He was one of the guys we got back from Andrew Benintendi, I want to believe. That also could be wrong, but I want to say that that's true. Uh, Jonathan Bolin, meanwhile, is another 2018 draft pick. He was kind of like the fifth guy. I think he was the fifth guy we drafted in 2018. That was the ex- the expectation was 2018, we were going to have a rotation of Brady Singer, Jackson Kowar, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, Jonathan Bolin. He should be the number five in that, but he's been kind of derailed because of Tommy John that he had a couple of years ago and didn't really come back looking great post-injury, but he has been getting a lot better this season as evidenced by the fact that he was able to get himself out of AA Northwest Arkansas and is now in Omaha. So he is someone that could potentially be in the major league sometime this season and hopefully could be a guy that pitches out of the rotation. He's not someone who's going to be exceptionally great, but he is someone that has always been expected to be like a back end innings eater kind of guy in the rotation. Someone who's probably going to have like a mid to high four ERA, but he will give you six, seven, eight innings each time around generally. Basically what we thought Jordan Lyles was supposed to be. So yeah, uh, Jonathan Bolin, he is Jordan Lyles, except not terrible, hopefully. And aside from that, we've also got Angel Zerpa and Ryan Yarbrough rehabbing. And I think Brad Keller is also on the path of getting back to the major leagues. So I... I, I'm the, I don't want to say that the pitching is going to get all that much better because I don't know how much I trust really most of these guys in the, in the rotation. I definitely don't really trust Ryan Yarbrough, although I do respect him a lot. I don't trust Brad Keller all that much, but who knows? He could be back in like early July, maybe even next week. And if he does end up pitching a couple of good starts... He could be a tradable piece, kind of like how Homer Bailey was tradable in 2019. He looked pretty bad for most of the season, but then he had these, he had this one stretch of like four or five starts where he was just like pretty solid and then was able to, and then the Royals were able to trade him for something. I don't think they traded him for a prospect that ever panned out or anything, but it was something. They did something. That could happen with Brad Keller as well. So here's hoping. Um, I do kind of like Angel Zerpa. Zerpa is another back-end rotation kind of guy. Don't look at the 1.13 career ERA and say, oh my god, this guy is so good. That's not going to last. But he is someone that could still make the rotation or at least stick the rotation for a couple of years. Um, there are some that think that think he's only really going to be an up and down spot starter. There are some that think that he can be just a, a bullpen guy. But I do think the Royals will con- will continue trying him as a starter until they are proven otherwise. So, um, like I said, I don't know if I really trust this pitching staff getting all that much better. But I do think a rotation of Bolin, Cox, uh, Lynch, and Zerpa as well as, I don't know, a fifth guy, Zach Greinke, I guess. That seems a lot better, or at the very least, more interesting than what we have right now. And what we have right now usually feels like three guys. It's Greinke, who's fine, and then Lynch, who's fine, and then Singer and Lyles, who combined have like a seven ERA between them. And then we literally do not have a fifth starter right now. But again, Austin Cox is working his way up there. So... Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I see this pitching staff stabilizing. That's what's important. I mean, obviously you want it to be good, but at the very least, it looks like we can get through the rest of the season without having to use someone like Mike Myers, who Mike Myers should never have been in the major leagues. He was never good enough to pitch in the major leagues. So we at least might not have to resort to that ever again. Although, incidentally, he has been placed back in AAA Omaha. So he could be back if it really comes to that. I guess it's good to have emergency depth like that. But yeah, let's hope it doesn't come to that. So I want to place a couple of guys on what I want to call the Yikes Watch. But before we talk about what that means, I got to add something to the show. 
And we're back. Thank you for your patience. So, like I said at the beginning, beginning of the podcast, the Yikes Watch is where we look at some guys that have been struggling all season and we go, Yikes! That's not good. Because, you know, we're past that point where you can give the benefit of the doubt for some things. Because, uh, like, the first couple of months, that's when you can say, okay, you know, there's some bad luck involved. There's this and that, maybe like a nagging injury or something. I don't know. And I mean, some things can prevail for an entire season or so. But even still, like whatever the case is, we do have to talk about some guys that are just not good enough right now. And they got to be better. They really do. So the first one is Brady Singer, who everyone loves to talk about now. Brady Singer has been... (laughs) I don't know. He's just he's just someone that everyone loves to talk about in the Royals community. Um he has I would I I want to say that he's taken a step backwards. It's more like he has taken a full swan dive net backwards. Like he is just gracefully bowed out of whatever we expected him to be. I was thinking he was the most expected to be good player on this roster or at, at the very least on the pitching staff going into the season, he was the one and only player that I was willing to accept an extension for. I was kind of against giving an extension to any other player, but I thought, you know what, Brady Singer, he's shown that he can stick a major league rotation. He's shown that he can be a good starting pitcher in major league baseball for the foreseeable future. So I don't mind giving him an extension, but nobody else. And I guess it's good that the Royals didn't do that. It's good that I am not the one giving out contracts to players because that would be really bad right now. I often say that I miss 2021 Brady Singer and some people are like, oh, you mean 2022 when he was actually good, right? No, I mean 2021 Brady Singer when he had a 4.9 ERA. Sure, it sucked. We complained about it all the time. Brady Singer has a 6.3 ERA now. It's a run and a half worse. How is he that much worse? But what's really putting a B in my bonnet is that the Royals seem like they don't want to admit that Brady Singer is really bad. Now, I know that it's usually not in the Royals' character to, you know, just come out and say, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. This guy's ass. He's a terrible pitcher. He's a terrible player and things like that. Most teams don't do that. Most organizations don't do that. And even if there is a guy, even if there is an organization that will, you know, admit that a player isn't performing up to expectations, you know, they'll put put it more eloquently than just going, yo, this guy's ass. But still, after the game on Wednesday, when Brady Singer went seven innings, which, you know, cool, he went seven innings. He also gave up five runs to the Detroit Tigers. Matt Quatrero said, oh, yeah, Brady Singer, we thought he threw the ball really well. In what world did Brady Singer throw the ball well? He gave up five runs to the freaking Tigers. Like, bro, he, he gave up a double to the gap to their catcher who was hitting like 180 on the season. That's not actually true. But still, he gave, he only recorded two strikeouts in seven innings to a bottom five MLB offense. He talks about, you know, Q talks about, oh, we, we like the movement of his pitches. Yeah, he only threw sinkers and sliders in the bottom of the zone. He just threw the same stuff every single time. Everybody knew what was coming. How did he throw the ball well? Again, I understand that the Royals aren't going to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's terrible and, and we don't like him and stuff like that. But, but I don't want to hear how he was doing well when it was very obvious that he wasn't. If anything, I'd like to know why was he only throwing sinkers and sliders and why only at the bottom of the zone? Has, hey, has anybody heard of like climbing the ladder? You know, that pitch sequence where you continuously adjust the hitter's eye levels and raise it upwards? You know, something that like everybody knows about and does all the time? Whatever happened to that? Why is Brady Singer not throwing his change up? Why is he doing... Why does this guy think that his solution to whatever problem he's having is to remove a pitch in his arsenal? What is he doing? 
And let it be known that I'm not even mad about Q specifically, and I'm definitely not mad at the pitching coaches. Because look, we've had this problem with Singer in the past with other coaches. So maybe the problem isn't the coaching. The problem might just be first name Brady, last name Singer. But again, I don't want to hear about like what good things he's doing when the results are you know, well, okay. Results aren't everything obviously, but still, like this this didn't look like a good process and it didn't yield good results. So I don't want to hear about some kind of good thing that he did where when it's pretty obvious that it wasn't. It just it just blows my mind how this is still an issue. I have no idea what he's thinking. And I don't know, maybe the Royals know that this is an issue, but can't really do anything because they need Brady Singer to pitch innings out of the rotation. But you know what? Maybe when we do get some other starters in this in this in this rotation, maybe that's when Brady Singer is gonna get a rude awakening and just be moved back to the bullpen or something. I don't know, dude. Maybe the Royals can pull an Alec Manoa and just outright put him into into the minors again. That would be uh kind of funny. But that's something else that could be possible for the other guy that I have on my yikes watch, as I'm calling it, which is MJ Melendez. MJ has not been good this season. He's not been good, especially recently. There was kind of one thing that I thought was a positive development for him, which is that I I thought that he was starting to look better in right field, but then on the... on um. On Thursday's game, I think he committed two errors on one play. Like, like lately over the last few games, he's been looking pretty terrible out in the field. Um, but he hasn't been doing it with the bat either, which is a big problem because he's someone that I think we really expect to be a big power hitter for us. And it really hasn't happened so far this season. Although this might be a little bit inappropriately timed <laughs> because... Actually, he had a really good game on Thursday. He had, I think, three hits on on this game. He went uh, three for four with a walk and didn't strike out. So, for all intents and purposes, he actually had a really, really good game. And also, actually, you know what? I was about to say something positive, but I don't think this would be a positive. So, I I was going to say that he that he's been hitting two thirty through the month of June, not including Thursday's game. But actually, that's not a positive when you consider the fact that he's not getting on base all that much. Five walks to 20 strikeouts in 17 games. And also, only a 3-12 slugging. He only has one home run in the month of June. And two doubles. The low average is something that I can actually defend for MJ Melendez. Because some guys are just going to hit less often than others. This is something that I always I often see when people criticize MJ Melendez. It's like, oh, he has this he has this big ugly swing. The Royals really need to do something about that. The Royals already have done something about that. That is the swing that they deconstructed and rebuilt for him because he was hitting 150 in in high A Wilmington in 2019. So the Royals completely disassembled the essence of MJ Melendez and put him all back together and then that guy went to hit 40 home runs in the minor minor leagues as a catcher that is what they this is this is the product of all of that all right mj melendez he does have a big swing but that's just how some guys hit sometimes let's get really fantastical with this and say that every hitter is like an rpg character bobby witt jr he's like he's the hero he's the knight he's got the big shining sword he's fast and nimble he knows how to use it MJ Melendez, meanwhile, is kind of like a big brute type of enemy that has a giant hammer or a tomahawk or an axe or whatever. It's like, okay, you can, you can see where this is going. It's, it, it shouldn't be too hard to avoid that kind of weapon, but man, do you not want to get hit by that thing. That is an instant kill right there. MJ Melendez does have a big, ugly swing. It's a swing that is designed to draw out as much power as humanly possible. It is a swing designated to completely atomize baseballs. So I will defend MJ Melendez hitting 230 because that's just what he's going to be. He is going to be a low average kind of hitter. It's what he does with 
the rest of it. What he does with the on-base. What he does with the slugging. His on-base needs to be 100 points higher than his average. Because, of course, a swing like that, he's going to strike out a lot. He's going to be a big strikeout guy. But he needs he needs to know the strike zone well enough to know what pitches to lay off on. But when he does swing, when he does make contact with the baseball, he needs to crush that shit. He needs to absolutely demolish it. MJ Melendez should be a three true outcomes player. He, he's someone who's going to strike out, walk, or hit a home run a significant amount of time. Or rather, a significant amount of the time. If you want to... An, an example of someone that I want MJ Melendez to be and think he could be in, you know, the same ballpark as Max Muncy really comes to mind, especially old, not, not Max Muncy right now necessarily, but like when Max Muncy was really, really good, like go to his Savant page and go back a few years. What Max Muncy did is he, this guy struck out a lot. He was one of the biggest strikeout guys of the majors, but he crushed the baseball whenever he got a hold of it. And also he took walks really, really often. One thing that really stands out about him is that he didn't chase very often. In fact, even recently, you know, Max Muncy isn't so great of a hitter right now, but oh, it's actually kind of funny. He has a 191 average, but a 111 OPS plus because, again, he just hits and he also takes walks. But anyway, he's one of the best in baseball at laying off pitches outside of the zone. If it's out of the zone, he doesn't even attempt swinging at that. He, he knows he's not hitting it. MJ Melendez needs to know that a lot better. Right now, it's not like he's not a at a like a he's not he's not chasing pitches like Salvi or Bobby or anything, but it's still he's only 43rd percentile. That needs to go way up. He needs to know to just completely lay off stuff that's out of the zone. If there is something that he that is even remotely going outside of the zone, he needs to lay off of that because he's not gonna hit it. He's not gonna be able to chase it. He's just not he's just not that guy. So I, I want to believe in MJ's skills. I want to believe in his abilities because the power is real. It is very much a, a, a real thing, and I want to invest in that. But he definitely needs to understand the strike zone better than he does now. He needs to stop chasing these pitches. And honestly, like if he just does that, I feel like that will improve a lot. Like It's going to cut his strikeouts a little bit. It's going to make his walk, walks go up a little bit. And yeah, he's, not, he's never going to hit for a high average or anything, but... Knowing what and when to hit is going to be valuable in in its own way. Now, I, and, and again, I will admit he's been hitting a little bit better throughout this month, and especially on Thursday. But even then, it's got to be better, my man. So let's move ahead to what we're going to be doing over this weekend, what the Royals are going to be doing. Our, our favorite bottom-feeding team is going to go up against... The best team in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays. And they already have done that. And the Royals won. <laughs> the Royals won a bullpen game. They started with Jose Quas, who was not looking very good in an in, in inning in two-thirds. Then they brought in Austin Cox, who just completely silenced the Rays for a few innings. And then um, Taylor Clark came in. For some reason, Taylor Clark sucks now, so that's cool. I didn't want to trade him anyway. I don't have feelings. But then Chapman came in, was freaking nails. Scott Barlow shut him down. Awesome. And then we we had some late game clutch hitting, and also some some weird mistakes by the Rays. I don't know. Are there are the Rays in disarray? Dare I say? <laughs> I mean, they had to. Ju they just announced that they benched Wander Franco because apparently he's in a big. He's a big jerk or something. <laughs> like, like literally, uh, their manager was just like, yeah, um, he has some kind of attitude issues and we're going to teach him to be a better teammate or something like that. It's like, okay, damn, <laughs> something, something's going on over there. Um, Yanni Diaz just like fell down while running the bases and just like gave up on it. And then there were some other errors. It was like the, uh, the infield single that MJ hit <laughs> that, uh. Uh, it, was, it was weird. Lots of weird stuff happened in this game. And also the Royals had to go up against Shane McClanahan, who, who I had, no joke, I picked this guy to be the Cy Young winner for this season. And so far, he is the Cy Young front runner for this season. 2.12 ERA going into this game. He is 11-1 in record. 
He only went three and a third innings and then left the game with mid-back tightness. So the Royals kill another one. I think they killed Jacob DeGrom earlier this season. Now they killed Shane McClanahan. Great job, Royals. Why are you so mean to other pitchers like that? Sorry. He actually pitched three and two-thirds innings and gave up two runs. That was the other thing. Gave up two runs, only three strikeouts, two walks. Like, the Royals actually did a really good job against Shane McClanahan, against a very good pitcher. I don't know why or how, but... Yeah, man. Dyron Blanco hit a triple, and then MJ, or not MJ, um, Michael Garcia hit him in, and then MJ hit Michael Garcia in. It's like, yeah, we just got guys on, got him over, and brought him in. It's awesome, dude. So this loss will put the Rays at a 67% winning percentage. They are now 52 and 26. <laughs> that is easily the best record in baseball. Um, yeah, by several games still, Jesus. So, um, interesting thing about the Rays is that early in, early in the season, it looked like they were leading baseball in quite literally every category imaginable. And that's not, that's not really happening anymore, but they are still very good, obviously. Um, the Rays have the best offense in baseball. They are first in all of baseball in weighted runs created plus. So just Overall, they are the best. They are, they have the fifth best batting average, which is 263. Third best on base at 338. Second best slugging percentage at 464. They don't even strike out all, all that much, 22.6%. How much do they walk? I actually forgot to write that down. They walk 8.9%, which is 13th best in baseball. So they, they just got guys. They got guys up and down, fantastic hitters. Yandy Diaz uh, was expected to be the front runner for... All-star at first base this season. Doesn't look like that's happening, but whatever. Wander Franco, someone who's like always been an MVP candidate or basically MVP of the future, I think is more fair to say. Isaac Isaac Paredes, this this guy who just kind of come out of nowhere. Rays do it again. Rays get a guy from out of nowhere. He was traded from the Tigers for uh, someone for Austin Meadows. Yeah, okay, last year, I want to see how this is going. Yeah, uh, not good for the Tigers. Austin Meadows is kind of bad right now. Isaac Paredes, meanwhile, is hitting uh, 266 with a 366 on base, 13 home runs at third base. So, great job, Tigers, great one. Um, And Randy Rosarena, this guy is just a freaking beast. Rookie of the year in 2021. Um, this season he has a 907 OPS. He is the American League leader in on base percentage. Yeah, this dude, this dude, this dude just does it all, and he's just one of the coolest players in the game. But the Rays are maybe a little bit more known for their pitching, and indeed, their pitching is very good. They're second in team ERA in total, which is 3.53. Keep in mind, these stats do not include Thursday's game, so this might be a little bit different. Uh, Houston is the best in baseball with a 3.52 team ERA, just for the record. But here's what's interesting. The Rays don't have a lot of things that really stand out about their pitching statistically. Like, you might think, okay, like, if you think of a really good pitcher, you think of someone who strikes out a lot of guys and who doesn't walk a lot of guys, right? Wouldn't that be fair? Well, the Rays only strike out guys about an average rate, 8.78 through 9, which is 15th in baseball, and they and they walk guys at a rate of 3.3 per nine innings, which is 17th in baseball. So they're not really doing that. Now, maybe their fielding is really good. It's 11th in baseball. So it's pretty good, but not elite. The one thing that is really helping them out, I think, is that they don't give up home runs. They only have, they have a sub one home run through nine rate. Again, not including yesterday's game where Drew Waters hit a home run off of them. That is second best in baseball, and Seattle is just barely ahead of it. One other thing, though, and this is maybe just some kind of magical stat. I don't know how exactly you make this happen, but Rays are making it happen. They have a 76% left on base percentage, which, of course, is the best in baseball. So when guys get on, they are just stranded with the Rays pitching staff. And interestingly enough, they have a 269 BABIP, as in the pitching for or rather hitters against the Rays pitching. They just aren't able to get a, a lot of uh, balls through the defense, or I don't know how, how you want to put it. 
300 is expected to be the norm. That is the norm. It's kind of like a, a general law. But for some reason, it's 269 for the Rays. Although it wasn't a problem yesterday for the Royals. I don't know. But anyway, they're starting ERA first in baseball, 3.19. But they don't pitch a lot of innings. They only have the 25th fewest innings. Or maybe the 5th fewest innings, if you want to put it that way. Um, which is only barely above the Royals, funny enough. So if you think the Royals don't get a lot out of their starting rotation, neither do the Rays. Their bullpen ERA is 3.93, which is 14th in baseball, but it's also the second most innings out of anybody else. The team that has the most bullpen innings is Oakland, interestingly enough. And does Oakland have a good bullpen? (laughs) That was a joke, of course. So those are what make the Rays so good. On Friday, we're going to see Zach Eflin go against Zach Greinke. It's going to be a battle of the Zachs. Uh, Zach Eflin, a pitcher that I would that, that I wouldn't have minded seeing the Royals sign last year if they were so daring, uh, but instead the Rays got him on a three-year deal and it is working out really well. Seventy-seven point one innings pitched, three point two six ERA. Yeah, that's the best season of his uh, career so far, so good for him. Zach Greinke, meanwhile, 92-year-old Zach Greinke has a 4.81 ERA in 76.2 innings. So, at least he's got those innings. And he's still on pace for 3,000 strikeouts. So, where is he at now? What's he at? Uh, 2,940. Needs 60 more. He has 58 on the season so far. So, yeah, he's getting there. He just needs to double that, basically. And then on Saturday, Saturday there is no probable pitcher for the Rays. They probably aren't even going to bother because you know what? The the Royals are going to lose this game on their own because Jordan Lyles is pitching. What happens when Jordan Lyles goes against the best offense in baseball? We're just going to find out on Saturday. We're going to learn one way or another. And then on Sunday, it's going to be Daniel Lynch hoping to uh, build off of his last great start on uh, Tuesday. And then the Rays are going to send out Tyler Glass now, someone who's always been expected to be a really, really good pitcher, but injuries have just always ruined this guy. So far, 25.1 innings pitched, 4.97 ERA. So he's actually not looking super good. But again, this guy is constantly injured. So who knows how, how good he actually is. Uh, who knows how good he'll be against the Royals because you never know what's going to happen when you play the Royals. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. I'll see you on Monday, I think, maybe, question mark, um, unless something else happens. But in, if, if something does happen, then I'll tell you about it at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter or at the MFNKC also on Twitter. And other further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at Gmail. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I really hope you're having a good one. I hope you have a good weekend, and I'll see you on Monday. Until then, I'm Lux, and go Royals! Royals are going to sweep these dudes.